0: what's up everybody i am ryan mcnichols host of fantasy oddballs football podcast i am joined by my co-host rich hank and our producer mike coyle we are talking everything dynasty and season-long fantasy football we dig through all the numbers so that you don't have to what's up everybody ryan mcnichols here host of the fantasy oddballs football podcast i am running solo today it is just me due to some scheduling conflicts the other guys could not be here so this episode is going to start off a little bit off the rails. I'll bring us back in and get us focused so we can do the Thursday Night Football Preview as well as recap some of what happened week six. But the start of the show is pretty much just going to be me going through some of the news and stuff that happened throughout this week. Some rumors that are going around throughout the NFL. And then after all that, I'll get us right back on track, like I said. But let's just start off with some of the news out of the NFL this week. So some news from the day. Odell Beckham Jr. apparently is drawing interest from several teams. The Chiefs apparently are listed as contenders for Odell Beckham Jr. Other teams that have shown interest would be the Buffalo Bills, the Rams obviously, although I don't know why he would want to go back to the Rams with the way that they're playing right now and just the overall performance of the offense. Plus there's the whole issue with the contract. OBJ feels that the contract they offered him was insulted. Whatever. As far as fantasy football purposes goes, Oda Beckham Jr. is not going to be playing until about December, so he might be available just before the start of the fantasy playoffs or as the fantasy playoffs are beginning. And if he's just getting into a system as the fantasy playoffs are beginning, you're not trusting him in your fantasy lineup. You can't. If you're that far that you've made the fantasy playoffs, you don't need to risk putting Oda Beckham Jr. in your lineup by the time it's So, So as far as fantasy goes, Odo Beckham Jr., don't worry about it. Don't worry about where he's going. Don't worry about where he's signing. It doesn't really have any great big effect anywhere else. Some of the bigger news, some of the odder news coming out of this week was some stuff around Dan Snyder and the Washington football team. So there's a couple pieces of this. Um, first, there was a report that came out basically... That had more to do with what Ron Rivera said about Carson Wentz. This, this stuff all spirals out of control and gets crazy. So this, um, that's, that's why I'm taking care of this, and that's why this is going to get off the rails. But just work with me here. But so there was—after the last week's loss, Ron Rivera was basically asked, you know, what's the difference between the commanders and the rest of the teams in the NFC East? Why are you know, they do so much better? Blah, blah, blah. And he said quarterback. And, like, he didn't think about it, didn't hesitate, just right away his response was quarterback. And then there was a report a little bit after that that Ron Rivera wasn't really the guy that wanted Carson Wentz in there. That was more of a Dan Snyder decision to bring Carson Wentz in, which Ron Rivera then got mad about and responded to and cursed about and said, you know, that he was the guy that wanted Carson Wentz in here, whatever. Here's the bigger issue with that is that if it was Dan Snyder who wanted him involved, Carson Wentz or anything involved, the problem was Dan Snyder was not supposed to be involved in those decisions. He had agreed to step away from the team. That was part of the agreement that he had reached with the NFL earlier in response to the investigation. He's not supposed to be involved in day-to-day activities like that, making those decisions. But it seems like he was. And so that led to some further conversation about Dan Snyder and things like that. Basically, Jim Ursay at the, you know, owner's meeting was asked, you know, what he felt about the situation. And somewhere along the way, he basically said something that... There was merit to possibly having Dan Snyder removed as an owner based off of, you know, the five investigations that have been launched into him since his time as the commander's owner. I can't believe this dude still has a job, but we're starting to see some of the things kind of unfold. All those things that we said were jokes for years about, like, you know, how Dan Snyder still has his job and how he, you know, is still around in the NFL despite... Everything that he has done and allegedly gone through with withholding money from the owners and the cheerleader scandal and then the toxic workplace environment, there's always that joke that, like, you know, he must have something on Roger Goodell. Well, now we're seeing reports where basically that's kind of what's coming out, where Dan Snyder is ranting and raving to people close to him about how he's got enough dirt and he sent private investigators to investigate other owners and stuff where he's got enough dirt on enough owners and Roger Goodell that if they try to force him out or force him to sell the Washington Commanders, he's essentially going to burn the whole place down. The man is a lunatic. I don't know what's going through his mind. I don't know why he's going to die on this hill. I just don't understand what he, ga- I, you know, he's essentially just gaining the reputation of being the most hated owner in the NFL and he really wants to seem to hang on to that despite everything else. Whereas, like, other people, when this started to happen, might have said, you know, hey, I'll I'll cut bait, sell the team, and step away from this, get the money from selling the team, and then, you know, go do something else and earn my money that way. But he, I guess, loves the spotlight too much. Loves, I don't know, the control he has over the organization and the team that much. But this man is just, I, I don't, this is something else going on with Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders. I I, I hope they force him out. It seems unlikely. But who knows? All right, so more NFL news. A little less controversial is that the NFL has decided that next year in 2023, they are going to host a NFL game on Black Friday. It is going to be exclusive to Amazon Prime Video. And it's not just going to be 2023. It's going to be a new thing going forward. So in addition to the Thanksgiving days that we get on Thursday the 3 games we get then there's also going to be a game that Friday. So another day with football added to the calendar. Depending on how you feel about that, that could be good, that could be bad. I'm all for more football. Anyway, so that'll be interesting. We'll see. I wish it wasn't exclusive to one channel. I wish it was available to more outlets, but that's something else we can get into some other time. I think these streaming services are confused about what competition is and the NFL is confused about it. Competition and capitalism is supposed to work where, like, Amazon Prime, ESPN, NFL, CBS, they all have the ability to broadcast games, and they all do broadcast the games, and then we, the viewers, would decide which broadcast we want to tune in and watch based off of our enjoyment. When you do exclusive broadcasting rights, you're taking away the choice. Like, there is, it's not competition. They're not competing with each other. If I can only watch Thursday games on Amazon Prime... They're not competing with anybody. Uh, like, Amazon Prime's not competing with ESPN+. Plus. Now to watch Thursday Night Football, I have to get Amazon Prime, and then I have to have ESPN+, Plus or NFL+, Plus or one of those other packages in order to watch the other games. So I really hate the specific, you know, exclusivity of certain games. I think it's stupid. I think it goes against what is supposed to be capitalism and, and fair competition. But, hey, that's just my personal opinion. What do I know? I'm just a guy hosting a fantasy football podcast in his basement. Some more news out of the NFL, going back to some more bleak stuff. Devontae Adams, we all saw last week, he got a little handsy with a credentialed photographer at an NFL game. Basically, he was mad about the loss. He came out and he shoved the dude. That guy has now pressed charges through the police department. So, why that matters is... Basically, nothing's going to happen to Vontae Adams this year because of that is what this means now. Before there was charges, it was just kind of an NFL matter where he kind of pushed somebody and assaulted somebody during an NFL event, and that would be one thing. But now that there's formal charges by the police, the NFL always operates under the we got to let the police investigation and the legal investigation side all carry out and go on before we can get involved and make a decision. So the NFL's basically not going to do anything until this is decided. If you want to know if this is going to get decided this year or not, Alvin Kamara, if we all remember, assaulted somebody at the Pro Bowl back in February, and his court date has been pushed back multiple times. It's now some point in November if it doesn't get pushed back again, or December, I think. So Alvin Kamara still hasn't had his first court hearing for an assault back in February. I don't imagine that Devontae Adams is going to move any quicker. It seems like the NFL's lawyers, or NFLPA lawyers, are really good at stalling this until it's, you know, past the season to deal with. So, you can feel about that how you will. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think it's right that these things should just get pushed back like this. Especially in these situations where the things were caught on camera and there's not really much debate about what happened there. So, it's just insane to me. I I, I think, you know, Kamara's thing should have been sorted out. And he should have been suspended for a few games to start the season. Same thing with Devontae Adams. It's one of those stupid things where they wrote a rule in the rule book and didn't really think about how it might actually play out in certain situations or lay, looked at the extreme in the other way and decided, well, you know, it's it, like, you know, one of those things where you write down a rule, but you understand that rules might have some flexibility to it and all that, you know, where, hey, you're supposed to be, you know, this place at 8 o'clock. You showed up at 8.01 or 8.02. Is that the end of the world? Can we kind of let that go? Do we have to make an argument about it? And, you know, there's just it, it's just supposed to be understanding that some of the rules are supposed to be maneuvered, you know, to just come out with the best outcome and everything isn't just black and white and all situations do this and all situations do that but the nfl doesn't understand how things like that work doesn't understand fluidity that's how things are with a lot of things in the nfl a lot of lack of progress because of stuff like that all right so with all that out of the way let's move on to some more potentially fantasy relevant news information so With, you know, where we're at in the season, things kind of progressing, you know, hitting week seven, the NFL trade deadline's going to be approaching, so there's some rumors about some guys out there that could potentially be on the move. Start off with the running backs. This one's less of a rumor and more of a, this is probably going to happen soon. That is Cam Akers. Cam Akers, a report came out earlier this week that he has some sort of football and philosophical differences with Sean McVay, and so they're not seeing eye-to-eye there. I mean, Cam Akers hasn't shown much when he has been on the field. He's had one year where he was sort of involved in the offense, looked all right, then he obviously got hurt last year and missed most of the year. Came back this year and just hasn't looked particularly good, doesn't seem like he's recaptured the old self. So it seemed kind of crazy to me that he would be raising such a stink when, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage going for him. He's got one year left still on his rookie deal after this, and it's just, it seems... Kind of crazy that, you know, he's the one kind of raising a stink over there. So I don't really know what team is going to be looking to acquire Cam Akers. Maybe the Broncos or somebody, but I don't think Cam Akers is necessarily going to help the Broncos run game. There is the possibility that Cam Akers ends up as a Carolina Panther. And the way that would happen would be if the Los Angeles Rams trade it to acquire Christian McCaffrey. Because obviously the Panthers, with Matt Rule being fired, they now have an interim head coach. They're 1-4 and to start the season. Their offense has looked dreadful. It seems like the Carolina Panthers might be in a situation where they are going to sell away some of the assets that they can get value for. And that'll be useful for them because they don't have a whole lot of draft picks over the next couple of years. I believe they're missing their second or third round pick, one of those two, for next year. Basically next year, I think they have three or four picks and teams typically start off with seven. So they're they're down quite a few picks, and they've lost a few from the following year as well. It seems like Christian McCaffrey could be on the move. The Carolina Panthers are asking for a first-round pick in return, so that would be the problem with the Los Angeles Rams, so they don't necessarily have a first-round pick next year to give the Carolina Panthers for him. So maybe they could work something out there. This is something the Rams are known to do, you know, trading away a first round pick to acquire a proven player, even if that player has a massive contract, which is part of the problem with Christian McCaffrey is that he does have such a huge contract. And I think this year, if he was traded away, it would kind of be a significant amount of dead cap for the Carolina Panthers. So that's why the Panthers are going to need a lot of compensation in return. And it just seems, I don't know, it seems unlikely that a team is going to spend a lot of Giraffe capital to trade for a running back who then has a lot of, you know, monetary capital in it as well. So we'll see what happens with Christian McCaffrey. Again, aside from the Rams, it also seems like the San Francisco 49ers could potentially interest it. They like, you know, to have a combination of running backs there. The running backs constantly hurt. Elijah Mitchell currently on IR. So we'll see how that goes. That would be the best case scenario for the Carolina Panthers is if the Rams and the 49ers, two division rivals, are bidding with each against each other in order to try to acquire cmc that would raise the price the most other teams that have been listed as interested to be the buffalo bills and the kansas city chiefs the kansas city chiefs made a move recently travis kelsey to free up a little bit of cap space but it's nowhere near enough to clear enough to add cmc to the roster i don't think they're going to do that they're using a trio of backs at the moment and are reluctant to commit to any of them and it's not to the point where I feel like none of them are productive and they couldn't get by with using them. I think they're just, you know, they like the little trio they have and they like the rotation they've got going. Andy Reid's going to do his weird thing over there. I don't think CMC's going to end up on the Kansas City Chiefs. Sorry to disappoint everybody. And then the Buffalo Bills obviously have been trying to find somebody to replace Devin Singletary, but they just haven't been able to do it. And I don't know. It's weird. It seems like every time Devin Singletary gets an opportunity, he's impressive and shows up, but the Bills seem intent on replacing him. They tried to do it with Zach Moss. It didn't work out. They're, they tried to do it with James Cook. He's not necessarily shown or flashed anything, so maybe they acquire CMC. It, it would make sense. They're a contender, but I also heard a report that they are trying to keep their cap space open and flexible because they're going to have to re-sign some other players coming up soon, and they basically they don't want to kill their team just to bring in a running back to you know, put them over the top when they already feel like they're slightly over the top. And as far as Christian McCaffrey goes, I actually think it would be bad for Christian McCaffrey to be moved to another team. And I know you're going to hear that and think that it's crazy with how bad the Carolina Panthers offense has been. But one of Christian McCaffrey's strength is his involvement in the pass game and how many targets he sees per game. And so if he goes to a contender like the Bills or something, or, you know, another team like that, They're not going to pepper him with, you know, eight, nine, ten targets a game. That's not how they use the running backs. I don't think they're going to change their entire offensive philosophy just because they had Christian McCaffrey. You know, they're still going to have Stephon Diggs, still going to have Isaiah McKenzie, Khalil Shakir, Dawson Knox out there. I don't think they're all of a sudden going to shift inside. You know, instead of throwing it to Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs down the field, let's just check it down to Christian McCaffrey over and over and over again. So I honestly think Christian McCaffrey's value is best at the Panthers, and he'd be best if... They could get a quarterback and get their offense together. So if he goes somewhere else, I think it would actually be slightly downgraded for him. Some other running backs that could potentially be available, David Montgomery for the Chicago Bears. Again, he's in the final year of his contract with the Bears. It's a new head coaching regime, new general manager over there that aren't necessarily committed to him. And it's a team that is clearly still rebuilding. They need to add a lot more pieces around them. So I don't think David Montgomery will be back with the Bears next year because they would require him to sign him a contract. I don't think they'll be able to offer him a contract that he would, you know, he would necessarily want given, you know, his situation and where the team is at with the rebuilding effort. If you're a team that's rebuilding, you don't want to spend a lot of effort or I'm sorry, a lot of financial capital into a running back position because it limits what you can do elsewhere around the team. They'd be much better off, you know, improving their offensive line and their wide receiving core. So it's possible that David Montgomery gets shipped out in order to regain some sort of draft compensation. They've also got Herbert there to step in, so they're not particularly worried about it. All right, so next we're going to look at some wide receivers that could be on the move. So we'll get through these quickly. There's not a lot of huge names here that are looking to be moved, but we'll run through some of the ones real quick. Apparently the Patriots, now that they have Tyquan Thornton back, are done with Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar. Apparently teams have been calling, acquiring about Kendrick Bourne. I don't understand this at all. I'm not sure like what the appeal is with Kendrick Bourne. If people really need like a special teams wide receiver that bad, that they're willing to trade for you know a fifth, sixth wide receiver on the team. But that he's one of the players being talked about as being available seems kind of odd to me. Nelson Aguilar also available again with Jacoby Myers and Taquan Thornton. And, you know the Patriots running two tight ends a lot. They don't really need three wide receivers on the field a whole bunch. Aguilar has been pushed down the bet- death chart bourne has been pushed down the depth chart. I don't really know who's going to be interested in players of that caliber. You'd probably be giving up peanuts to get them. Probably something like what you know, what the Panthers got for in order to get Laviska gave up in order to get LaVisca Chenault, like a future sixth and seventh round pick or something like that. Other guys like that available would be Kenny Galladay of the New York Giants, who signed a huge deal with the Giants that a few you know a year or two ago. That just isn't working out with them. It's going to kill their cap space. And this might be one of those situations where even though he's going to be a huge dead cap hit, you just kind of got to cut bait with the guy because, I mean, he's just he's not producing. And at a time when they really need wide receivers, he's just not stepping up for them and not, you know, being what they paid him to be. So time to cut your losses and move on. DJ Chark of the Detroit Lions also could potentially be being moved. It's uh, so what people are talking about there. You know, they got Jamison Williams coming back. I'm on Ross St. Brown has really emerged as, you know, a standout wide receiver in the league. And then, you know, there's Josh Reynolds there behind him who's been serviceable in filling in. So DJ Chark's only on a one-year deal. I don't know how much, again, people are going to, another team's going to want to give up to acquire a wide receiver who's, you know, already played half the season, so he's got half of a season left maybe, and has also been dealing with injuries all this year. So I, I just don't know that the value is there to acquire this guy. I'm just surprised to see his name mentioned in, in trade talks. We mentioned earlier that CMC was talked about possibly being, being traded. Well, the Panthers apparently are looking to move like anybody potentially who has value, who's not a cornerstone part of their franchise. So, with that, both Terrace Marshall Jr. and DJ Moore are being talked about as potential targets for other teams to trade for. Terrace Marshall has just never caught on there as the Carolina Panthers, you know, second round pick in 2021. Hasn't caught on yet, not really showing out, even with the lack of other pass catchers around him. And then you have DJ Moore there, who prior to this season had been quarterback proof and had found success with a bunch of different quarterbacks, where there's a banged up Cam Newton or, I forget, the Hodge, you know, I think they had Teddy Bridgewater in here at one point, PJ Walker's filling in for a period of time, you know, just some crazy things going on there for the Carolina Panthers. I think DJ Moore unlike Christian McCaffrey where his value would go down if he was traded to another thing, I think it would be the best thing in the world if DJ Moore got traded to another team. It would shoot his value back up. It would get him back to, you know, that wide receiver 15 area we were kind of expecting. We were expecting, you know, maybe a little more from DJ Moore this year, but it just seems like the team again is getting ready to blow up and try to get as much value as they can. Interestingly enough, another person who's been mentioned in trade talks is Denzel Mims, from New York Giants or New York Jets. And I say it's interesting because not so much that he wants to be traded. I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone could see this. He was a high draft pick from you know a few years ago who hasn't caught on. He's buried on the depth chart now behind Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Braxton Barrios. But what makes us curious is that apparently there's a report that Elijah Moore has requested a trade away from the New York Jets. Not a whole lot of reports coming out about what's going on. If one had to guess, you would imagine that he's not happy with his role in the offense. He went from being, you know, the focal point of the offense the last couple games for the Jets last year when he was healthy and essentially the only one there— to kind of being an afterthought in the Jets. You know, when Joe Flacco was playing for the first three games, he was clearly behind Garrett Wilson in the pecking order there. And now with Zach Wilson back, like nobody's really getting any targets there. But Elijah Moore's seeing even, you know, everyone's target volume has gone down. But Elijah Moore's, because it was already low to begin with, it's just gone down that much lower. So he didn't even register a stat on the stat sheet this past week. It seems like he's upset, wants to be moved out, wants to be a bigger part of the offense. The Jets apparently, though, have no intention of trading him. So this is an interesting to keep your eye on and see how it develops. I think it's better news for Garrett Wilson, and I'm not quite sure what Elijah Moore is going to accomplish going somewhere else. Again, he's just kind of a slot receiver guy, and I, I, I don't know that he's in a position to be making the waves that he's making. So that's... Oh, another guy for the wide receivers that I heard about earlier today that's uh, being talked about for being traded would be Chase Claypool. Apparently, teams are calling and inquiring about him. I believe the New York Giants were one of them. Obviously, they need help at the wide receiver position. They could be the team that trades for some of these ran- random guys that we're talking about because they desperately need help at that situation with Sterling Shepard out for the year. Kenny Galladay not living up to his expectations. Kadarius Tony being banged up and him also not performing to whatever standards they have set for him. Some crazy things going on there with Kadarius Toney. Don't know what's going on, but... Chase Claypool, yeah, apparently available for trade, and that would be good news for Deontay Johnson and George Pickens because it would just narrow the target tree that much more, especially with Mitchell Trubisky stepping out there. Although, apparently, once Pickett is healthy and clear concussion protocol, he will be the starter again. Other players who are possibly available for trade at the tight end, or not, I shouldn't say other players, other players who play the tight end position who are available for trade would be Alberto Quabenom, you know, who plays for the Denver Broncos. Once Noah Fant got traded away and, you know, part of the deal to get Russell Wilson and all of that, you would have thought that Alberto was stepping into the leading tight end role. However, since the season has started, one of the, the Denver Broncos haven't done much on offense. One of the things they have done consistently is involve three or four tight ends per game. It seems kind of crazy to me. I don't know why they're doing that, but of the three, four tight ends they're evolving, Albert O seems to be on the bottom of that pecking order, so there's a potential he gets traded to a team that needs a starting tight end somewhere. And then also Mike Gasecki. and this has more to do with you know his contract situation. He's playing on the franchise tag. The team failed to come to a long-term agreement with him last year because prior to this year he'd been used more as a wide receiver than as a tight end. And so they franchise tagged him. He's playing on the franchise tag. If you can get value for him and trade him away, that's a better thing to do than have to spend a lot of money on a tight end that you may not think is a top-tier tight end next year. So I think that's how the Dolphins feel about him. I certainly know that was how my co-host Rich felt about him when we had discussed him earlier in the offseason, that he wasn't necessarily you know a guy that you had to plan a flag on and put a lot of money in. He thought he could get worked out of the Dolphins. And So... We'll see, because now that you have Jalen Wilde and Tyreek Hill, you don't necessarily need a tight end that lines up at wide receiver. You kind of need more of the traditional tight end that can get in there and block and line up in line. That's just not Mike Gusecki's strong suit. He did have a big week this past week, but he could be on the move. That's that's the important thing of what I'm saying. And as far as that goes, I think that's everyone that I have heard about recently being available for a trade. So we are going to move on. So... Some other things we're going to get into today, we're going to preview Thursday night, or I'm sorry, I keep saying we. Well, we, you then the aud, me in the audience, so you at home and me here by myself. We are going to preview Thursday night football together. Thursday night football, of course, is going to be the New Orleans Saints at the Arizona Cardinals. There's a couple of injury notices for this game. Obviously, the biggest one is that Marquise Brown suffered a foot injury he will be out for several weeks, it seems. I believe he's headed to IR. He should be out for four to six weeks, possibly more. There's been some vagueness about how long the injury is. This comes, of course, right as DeAndre Hopkins comes back. That's going to be the biggest thing for Thursday Night Football. If you have DeAndre Hopkins, you've been holding him on your IR. If you stashed him on the bench, if you don't have an IR spot, you're definitely starting DeAndre Hopkins tonight. Northern Saints have no Marshawn Lattimore, so they don't have like a shutdown corner that's going to follow him anywhere. With Marquise Brown out, you know, it's really just Rondell Moore and A.J. Green there competing for targets with him. I think, you know, DeAndre Hopkins should come in and should be seeing, you know, probably 10, 11, 12 targets in this game, depending on how competitive it can be. Zach Ertz, you're starting Zach Ertz. He's been a top 12 tight end every week in fantasy football. Had 14 points last week against the Seattle Seahawks. Rondell Moore is a risky flex play. Don't really know what his position is going to be. You know, going forward, obviously with DeAndre Hopkins back, it should just be DeAndre Hopkins gets Marquise Brown share and Rondell Moore keeps what he was doing. It's kind of a low end flex play. Kyler Murray, you're keeping Kyler Murray in your starting lineup. Again, he's one of those guys where he hasn't probably been as productive as you would have liked, but he's still been a top 10 quarterback more weeks than not. He's still producing for you. He's not necessarily giving you like a four or six point game in Dudney. He's still got a floor of around 14 to 16 points. Last week against the Seattle Seahawks again he got 14, you know, just under 15 fantasy points for you. So, Eno you know, Benjamin also has a foot injury. Keep an eye out for that. We'll see whether or not he's active or inactive. Also we've got James Conner dealing with a rib injury, so we're waiting to see what's going on there. If both of them are active, it's risky to play either one of them because you know they it. Even if one's inactive and the other's not, it's still kind of risky to play either one because they're both banged up. So. Eno you know, Benjamin obviously hasn't gotten into full practice this week. Neither is James Connor. If you're running a bit of a risk if you throw them out there. I think again you'd be better off with going a pass catcher like DeAndre Hopkins, Zach Ertz, or even possibly Rondo Moore than going with one of these running backs who's banged up. If they're both if the best case scenario I would say for the running back situation would be if Eno you know, Benjamin was active and played because he played last week and he played well through it. I don't know how James Conner is going to look him out of his rib injury if he's honestly like 100%, whereas Savino you know, Benjamin's good enough to go a few days later after the game where he suffered this injury, you would think that at least the injury isn't that serious and there's a possibility he could play through without any problem, whereas James Conner and his rib injury seems a little bit more iffy if he goes out there. <clears throat> as far as the New Orleans Saints go... The Saints have not yet apparently announced who's going to be the starter. It looks like it's going to be Andy Dalton. Jameis Winston has been clear to play, but he could be operating as the number of three quarterback technically on the depth chart, kind of in an emergency situation if something were to happen to Dalton. Just kind of being cautious with him again. He's got four fractures in his back, so it's smart to be cautious with him. Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry are out again. Chris Olave appears to have, you know, it seemed like he cleared concussion protocol last week and they just didn't want to put him out there and risk it. However, it does appear that he is active and healthy and will be playing tonight. If Chris Olave is out there, you're you're playing Chris Olave with no Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry. He's going to see the bulk of the volume, him and Alvin Kamara most likely. Even with Andy Dalton out there, he's still been the number one wide receiver on the team when he's been out there and playing. And then Alvin Kamara is going to be a lineup lock. Again, running back this year has been kind of hit or miss everywhere. Alvin Kamara, that being said, still has a high ceiling, even if his floor is a little bit lower than has been years past. He had 18.4 points last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. Traquan Smith, again, with Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry both being out, it's possible that Traquan Smith gets some targets and some volume in this game. However, he's a very, very risky flex play. I wouldn't really recommend it. Taysom Hill is also a risky tight end play in PPR formats. Again, he just he's not getting any volume in the passing game. I think he has like two targets throughout the you know the first six games of the year. Only had four and a half points last week after you know his four touchdown game the week before. So that's just kind of what Taysom Hill is. He's a really big risk at tight end. If you want to throw him out there because there's not really anything better, go ahead. But I wouldn't be dropping anybody who's startable or anything like that to go and grab Taysom Hill. <clears throat> all right, so with all that being said, that's going to take care of Thursday Night Football and kind of the big news. I guess I'll go through some of the other games that have happened this uh, past week based off that what's coming up. We talked about earlier how the Arizona Cardinals last week played the Seattle Seahawks. Last week, Seattle Seahawks. You know, Geno had kind of a down game that week. It was a little bit surprising. It was only 19 and 9. I mean, they're playing the Arizona Cardinals, so it's not necessarily like they had to have a high-scoring game. So the numbers, everybody was down. Geno Smith under just under 13 fantasy points. DK Metcalf five and a half. Tyler Lockett just under four fantasy points. The big story was Kenneth Walker with 19 fantasy points. They really rode Kenneth Walker the whole way. He was involved in the passing game. He's the primary running back. You know, we didn't see a whole lot of DJ Dallas or anybody else like that to kind of steal his touches away. So Kenneth Walker going forward should be an RB2, lock it in, set it and forget it kind of player, especially in games, in the few games where they might be ahead. That is not going to be this week as they play the Los Angeles Chargers. And as far as the Chargers go, Keenan Allen apparently said that he is not going to be or uh, hinted that he's probably not going to be playing this week. He said he might wait until after their bye week to come back just to make sure he's at 100%. He's been dealing with a hamstring injury. He's only played week one this season. and He suffered that injury then. He hasn't played since. Mike Williams and Josh Palmer have been kind of hit or miss since, you know, then on Monday Night Football last week. They beat the Denver Broncos in overtime 19 to 16. Mike Williams only had 3.7 fantasy points. Not really what you were expecting from him with Keenan Allen out of the lineup. Josh Palmer came in with 14.7 fantasy points, so it's not like they're blowing you away. Right now it seems like the Chargers are really moving through Austin Eckler, who had 24.3 fantasy points last week and is heavily involved in both the uh, passing game and the rushing game. Joshua Kelly, I believe, who's been operating as their number two, is banged up, and it looks like he could be out this upcoming week, so we'll see about the backup position behind there. And Gerald Everett had 7.9 points. Justin Herbert was disappointing with 8.5 points last week. Fantasy, not what you expect when you draft him. You're still starting Justin Herbert if you have him. It's really the pass catchers that are the bigger question with Mike Williams and Josh Palmer. Josh Palmer is a low-end flex play. I don't know that he has, like, a 20-point upside to him but he could get you around 12 14 points 15 points in a game the problem is his floor is also around four or five points and Mike Williams is essentially the same thing he'll get you he could get you four to five points in a game you know 3.7 like he did last week but he has the potential to get you a 28 point game so I'd be more I guess more comfortable starting Mike Williams I'm not going to say confident because you know don't know what Mike Williams would will do, but I would be more comfortable starting Mike Williams than I would be starting Josh Palmer this week when they take on the Seattle Seahawks. And then <clears throat> earlier we had mentioned that the Cincinnati Bengals had played the New Orleans Saints last week. This week the Bengals are going to take on the Atlanta Falcons. Last week Joe Burrow 32 and a half fantasy points. Him and Jamar Chase really connected. Joe Burrow showed up at the stadium wearing Jamar Chase's college football uniform and basically expressing his love for the guy, and that showed up in the game. Jamar Chase, 32.2 fantasy points. Caught a long touchdown pass that kind of, that essentially sealed this game for the Cincinnati Bengals. It was close to going into overtime and in a tie. However, there's some questionable decisions with two points made towards the end of the game there on each side. Still didn't really make a whole lot of sense to us when we were watching it. T. Higgins, 10.7 fantasy points, and Tyler Boyd, 12.5 fantasy points. Last week, T. Higgins has now, as of today, been removed from the injury report. So he no longer has the questionable tag. So hopefully he's back to, you know, 100%. Should get you around 15 fantasy points a week. You can set him in and lock him in. Jamar Chase, same thing. You can set him and forget him, lock him in your lineup. Tyler Boyd's a bit of a riskier flex play than he is more of a a wide receiver two or wide receiver one like Higgins and Chase are. Joe Mixon, 16.8 fantasy points last week. He continues to be one of the more consistent running backs throughout fantasy, even if he doesn't necessarily have the upside or the floor as some of us were expecting. He still has a pretty safe floor around double-digit fantasy points and getting around 15 fantasy points a week. you will take that, especially with how bad running backs have been this season. And on the flip side of that, this upcoming week, the Bengals will be taking on the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons, who beat the 49ers last week, have been playing feisty Marcus Mariona, NFL Offensive Player of the Week with just over 24 fantasy points. However, that hasn't really translated to fantasy success for anybody else out there with Mariota obviously, you know, doing a lot with his legs. Not a lot left over for the pass catchers. Drake London, 7 points. Olamide Zaccheaus, just under 10 fantasy points. And then Caleb Huntley and Tyler Algier have been splitting as a running back by committee there. They both scored under 6 fantasy points Caleb Huntley you know, 5.9, Algier 5.1. So they combined for literally 11 fantasy points together. And speaking of 11 fantasy points, Kyle Pitts just under 11 fantasy points this week. You're still playing Kyle Pitts every week. Again, if you're getting 10.9 points out of your tight end at this point, it's not what you're expecting from Kyle Pitts, but from a tight end that you're starting, that's decent. So, you know, Kyle Pitts is going to get him his 19 yards, <laughs> it's just a matter of how many catches he's going to take to get to the 19 yards and whether or not one of those is going to be a touchdown as well so that's essentially what he did last week three catches for 19 yards and a touchdown but other than that i think that is going to wrap it up for this episode at the moment again it's just me so we're going to make this a little bit of a quicker one just wanted to get into the thursday Night football preview a little bit of the game recaps from last week And until next time, you can follow us on Twitter at Fantasy Oddballs. We are also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you get your audio podcast. Until next time, I'm Ryan McNichols. Have a great day, everyone.